Amen. Thank you, Jason, and thank you all for joining with us in prayer. Um, let's have our kids dismissed. Um, this is uh, uh, preschool through fifth grade. You guys can make your way upstairs right now to your classes, and um, parents, you can pick them up um, after the service upstairs. And uh, thank you all for joining us this morning. What a joy it is to be assembled as the body of Christ um, this morning, and it, it's fun to, to be in here for our second assembly of this morning. We had a good group outside at 9.15, and we're going to continue to do that. At this point, our hope is to um, do the Memorial Day picnic um, in the way that we normally would, at least relatively similar to how we normally would. And so that's our goal for the end of May. And until that point, we're going to keep going with two services. We'll have one outside, uh, unless it's raining, then we'll be in the youth room at 915. But we'll keep going um, outside at 915 as long as the weather is good, at least until we get to, to May. So we want to make you aware of that, that um, you are welcome to join us for either service. Kids ministry and live stream will only happen during the 1030 service. But, um, but we are going to continue to offer uh, both of those services to you. Uh, a few announcements for you to know about. We will have what we call a Fellowship 101 lunch next Sunday. And so that is uh, a introduction. If, you, if you're here for the first time today, um, then come next week. Join us for lunch right back here behind me in this room. We're going to have a, a lunch that's free for you that is right after the service and you're going to hear more about what is the mission and vision of Fellowship Bible Church. It's also, um, if you've been here for a while and you're ready to join as a member, that's your opportunity to do that as well. And so whether it's you know you want to commit as a member to this church right now, join us, or you know nothing about this church and you just want to learn more, join us, and there's no, there's no pressure to become a member in, in that particular lunch. But either way, uh, let me know if you'd like to join us, and we will have some child care available as, as I kind of talk through some stuff. So there will be lunch, some informational uh, meeting stuff from me, and, and we'll also have some people to, to watch the kids um, while I'm uh, you know, doing my thing, telling you about the church. So um, also, we want to let you know that we will have another baby dedication service on, uh, on May the 9th, and that's Mother's Day. And we're going to start planning a baptism service, too, as we've had a couple ask about that. Um, so if uh, there's any candidates for baptism or any um, young children that uh, parents you would want to dedicate them to the Lord, uh, let me know uh, or let Ramona know about those things. Last week, we presented to you this... Um, opportunity we have, and it really is an opportunity because of some long-term partnerships we have in the region of West Africa. Uh, we have a unique opportunity to, to step in with some financial resources and the gospel of Jesus Christ to meet an urgent physical need of over two million displaced people that um, now are separated. As they're separated from their homes, they're also separated from their fields and their crops. And in an agricultural society, they are unable to provide food for their families when they cannot stay in the same place long enough to plant crops, harvest crops, etc. And so we are raising money to uh, purchase grain to send with brothers and sisters in Christ into this particular people group with which we partner to uh, share the love of Christ into that. And, and so we our goal is $10,000, and we got um, a little bit over $3,000 just last week. But we want to continue moving uh, forward in that direction. So we want you to know um, this is an incredible open door 
for the gospel that we get to be a part of in a largely Muslim people group, in a, um, in a country that is uh, falling apart at the seams right now. And uh, we have the opportunity to feed some people and bring gospel hope along with some bags of grain. So you can give through the boxes in the back and just put in the memo line the West Africa Famine Relief, or you can give online um, however you prefer. Um, Obviously, we want you to continue in your faithful giving to the general fund and the Samaritan offering, which, which stays right here in this community. This is a missions project. This is our 2021 major missions project to provide open doors for the gospel uh, through bags of grain. So uh, please keep praying for those uh, people and for that work and, and give generously um, as, as God continues to move. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I got an incredible message this week. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've wanted to do Ecclesiastes for some time. Uh, I actually fell in love with this book um, a little over seven years ago as I was leading a Bible study, and it was so encouraging to receive a, a text message this week from somebody in the Bible study to refer to, it, to exactly what was on my heart in preparation for this sermon. So, so here's the story. Uh, a little over seven years ago, we started, Jess and I, this Bible study um, for college students and young adults in the church, and we met in our home, and at the time I was still, I was still the youth pastor. I had not yet transitioned to the lead pastor role, and, and we just sort of opened our homes late at night. We had one kid, and uh, we put her to bed, and then we, we stayed um, till 10, 30, 11 with a bunch of young people in our house just talking about the Word of God, and we intentionally tackled some of the more tougher uh, passages and, and, and books. And so Ecclesiastes was one. And that, that study really caused me to fall in love with this book that is honestly a, a challenge to interpret, a challenge to just read devotionally without context and, and background and study. And so uh, this week, I, I posted on, on social media that we were going to take a break from Luke to go into Ecclesiastes. And this is because, uh, the reason is because this has really been, been germinating for, for maybe almost a year in me. But with all of, of the COVID stuff, all, all the drama, all the stress, all the questions, uh, we, we weren't here together for a time, and then people have come back at, at different stages I really wanted to do Ecclesiastes in a season of time when we had more regular attendance and more people in the room. Because Ecclesiastes is something that we need to sort of take carefully all together. And so we, we preached through uh, a portion of the book of Luke. We're, we're maybe about 30% of the way through the book of Luke right now. And we'll come back to Luke in the summer. But for April and May, we're going to charge through Ecclesiastes. And I particularly waited till this season of time between Easter and Memorial Day, uh, because I knew that attendance would be a little bit more regular, to unpack this kind of challenging book. But this message that I got this week was from a a, a woman who's uh, early 30s at this point, and she was in this Bible study as a young adult in my home about seven years ago. And she said, Tim, I meant to tell you that a week ago, I was really struggling. I, I, I was facing some, some despair and some disappointment. And God just led me to Ecclesiastes. And I read in Ecclesiastes, and I found hope in Ecclesiastes of all places. It's possible, y'all. y'all we're we're going to get there today. 
She said, I, I read Ecclesiastes and I found hope and it was so encouraging. And she said, the Lord just told me then I needed to tell you because the reason I was able to find hope and encouragement was for, from Ecclesiastes is because seven years ago we did the hard work to dig down deep into Ecclesiastes and see what this is all about. Because it's not an easy book to unpack. And, and maybe some of you are like, well, how did this girl read Ecclesiastes devotionally? I read it this week because I heard there was a sermon on it, and I have no idea what's going on in chapter one. Chapter one feels like a lot of despair, a lot of meaninglessness, a lot of futility, vanity, nothing new under the sun. What are we supposed to get out of it, right? Because that, that's how humans tend to approach scripture. What am I going to get out of it? And that's an important question, but it's not the first question. The first question is, what does this tell us about who God is and how, how God is working in the world? Well, the character of God is our starting point. And, and then from there, we have to see how Christ illumines, Christ illumines this incredibly challenging Old Testament book to, to bring new meaning to us. So um, the challenge for today is, Let's read Ecclesiastes together. I'm going to ask you over the next couple months, read through it, 12 chapters, read through a little bit each day or a couple times a week, um, wade in and see this grand experiment. Because that's what Ecclesiastes is all about. It's about experimentation, actually. So when I say that we're, we're searching for the meaning in life out of the book of Ecclesiastes, we're following this guy who identifies himself as the preacher. We're following this guy on this grand experiment of finding purpose and meaning in life. And, and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the different directions he goes. He, he, he trudges down a few different paths along the way searching for meaning. And we'll, we'll talk about them as we go. Uh, physical pleasure is one of those paths. Uh, wealth is a path. Education and wisdom is a path. Uh, and work is a path. And we'll go down all those paths with him and we'll see what he sees. But, but we'll also hope to see beyond what he sees. So we're going to, for today, we're going to go with, we're going to unpack this process or this passage in four parts, just all of chapter one of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to look at the problem in the first five verses. We're going to look at the key illustration that keeps, that's going to start coming back throughout the whole book in verses six and seven. And then we're going to go to the end of the chapter and look at the setting that is essential to understand. And then we're going to find the hidden solution that he just blazes right through in verses 9 through 11, that, and that's what we're going to leave with today. So, so four points, the problem, the illustration, the setting, the solution, as we dive into Ecclesiastes together. And, and the meaning of chapter 1 unlocks the way to find hope in this book. So if Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. How's that for a sermon introduction, right? Some of your verses may say futility of futilities or meaningless, meaningless. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if I would have started this sermon with just standing up in front of you and say, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. That's a good attention grabber, right? This preacher knows what he's doing. So verse 3, we'll keep going. 
What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor, there will be, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And that's it. That's the message of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now, here's the first question. We read that. Are we allowed to agree with that? Like, it's the Bible, right? But it doesn't feel like the Bible. It doesn't sound like the Bible. It sounds actually a little bit hopeless. It sounds meaningless. It sounds like, Well, there's no point in trying. There's no point in working because in the end, it's all a striving after the wind. That's what the speaker sounds like right now. So if we're going to get there, if we're going to get to the hope, and and believe me, there's hope in Christ in chapter 1 embedded there, and there's hope in Christ throughout the whole book because, you know, God writes a better story than we do, and God writes a better book than we do. And so what this preacher is trying to communicate to us is a very specific point in a specific setting. And when we, when we bring Christ in, the whole thing just shines in a brighter way that we will easily miss if we forget Jesus in this. So we'll start with the problem in verses 1 through 5. And the first question relating to that is, who is the, the preacher? Who is the author of this book. And, and it's interesting as you read the book, you'll, you'll notice that at times the voice change, the voice changes. That is from first person to third person. And so it's the preacher said this, and then I, the preacher, said this, and then in chapter 12, the preacher did da, 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 and then I later at the very end of the book. And so the question is, who is this preacher and why does he change from first to third person occasionally? Well, traditionally Christians have understood the preacher to be Solomon, and, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. We don't know that, but I'm comfortable with, as we unpack Ecclesiastes, to say Solomon's the best guess. Solomon, we can, we can assume 
that, it, that Solomon makes sense as an answer. But this is just the way I approach the Bible, y'all. If we're not sure of something, I'm not going to say it was definitely Solomon, okay? That's just how I do it. We're going to say it was very likely Solomon that wrote the book, but we don't necessarily know that for sure. Now, in context, we know uh, son of David, king in Jerusalem, super rich, super wise. It, it makes sense to say that it was very likely Solomon. It, it also, if it is Solomon, it makes sense to see it in conjunction with Proverbs. And, and actually, whether it's Solomon and he's telling uh, the story of wisdom from a different perspective in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, or it's somebody else uh, tacking onto Proverbs this kind of different mindset on wisdom, either one's really, really useful for us. Because interpretive tip of the day, you don't read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes the same way. They're, they're coming from, from very different perspectives. Uh, Proverbs, another important interpretive key for Proverbs, Proverbs is not a book of promises. There are promises in Proverbs, but Proverbs is not primarily a book of promises. Proverbs is primarily a, a book of principles. And so if you take every word in Proverbs as a promise, you, you're going to do yourself some spiritual harm because you're going to be like, I, God told me if I did this, this, and this, then it would go well with me. And I did this, this, and this, and it's not going well with me. And, and Proverbs are, are principles of wisdom that tell you how to live life in wise ways. And it tells you, if you do this, then the most likely outcome in a, in a general sense is going to be if you train up your child in the way that they should go, in the old, they will not depart from that. that there's a principle there. But, but there's also this thing that we know happens in life where there's exceptions to every rule. And so whereas Proverbs is the book of principles for wisdom, Ecclesiastes brings up the dark side of the exceptions to every rule and really gets down and dirty into the nitty-gritty of what happens when you do all the wise things and life still blows up in your face. What happens when you train up a child in the way he should go and he does depart later on? Where, where is the hope in that? It, was it all just meaningless? Was all of that just striving after the wind? Was all of that a waste when you, when you did the right thing and you taught the right lessons and then that child just strays? Ecclesiastes is written for the exceptions, for those times when life goes badly, blows up in your face, and causes great despair and pain. And y'all, how beautiful is it that there's a book in the Bible like that? There's a book in the Bible specifically written into pain and despair, specifically written for those seasons of our greatest doubts, specifically meant to bring us hope in a change in perspective in the midst of what we see as the hopelessness of life. So the preacher, whether it's Solomon or another king from the line of David living in Jerusalem, it, it, it's, there's hope here. And here's why. Verse 2, one interpretive key of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, the Hebrew word hevel. The Hebrew word hevel is translated, and I, I preach from the English Standard Version, and the Hebrew word hevel is translated in the ESV as vanity. Um, other translations will translate it as um, futility or meaningless. And so you're, you look down at verse 2 in the Bible in front of you, you might see a couple of different words there. Uh, the word hevel means mist or vapor. And the idea 
of Hebel is, is not to create, is not to, not to say, speak of something that is without substance, but to speak of a substance that is fleeting. Because what is a mist? A mist is a something. A mist isn't a nothing. Vapor has substance. It's a gaseous substance, but it's, it's there. It's fleeting. You can't just reach out and grab vapor. You can't grasp smoke in your hands. Uh, I, I, when we, um, just a month ago, we got on a plane to go to Texas to, to celebrate a family wedding. And as we were, uh, we were flying with my kids, we flew through clouds. And you know, you remember, if you've ever, you know, your first time flying, especially if you ever got the incredible opportunity to fly as a kid, how mind-blowing that was to fly through clouds and then go and see them going through the window all misty and then get up above the clouds and see like, wow, they look like they're big and fluffy and it looks like they're something until you go through them and then it feels like they're just nothing and they dissipate and then you're on top of them and it looks like they're something again. And this is, this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is actually trying to communicate here with this word hebel, mist, vapor, gas, He's trying to say that meaning and purpose in life is fleeting, and it's like chasing after the wind. It's like trying to grab a mist out of the air. And I think that's important, because that does not mean meaningless. I, I do not believe that the, that the preacher here is actually trying to say that there is no meaning in life. I believe he's trying to say that the meaning in, we find in life under the sun is fleeting. It's passing. It's hard to grasp. And, it, and the thing about life in this life under the sun is that every time you're grasping for, a, for meaning in a cloud, in mist, in vapor, you see something there and you can't grasp it. And the something that is there that you're almost able to grasp, you think you're going to grasp and then dissipates in your hands, it is always pointing you towards something beyond itself. That desire, that, that desire to find purpose and meaning in life is good and right and real. God placed it there by creating us in the image of God. And so, yes, we want to make things. We want to create. We want to leave a legacy, make a difference. We want to change the world. We want to make the world a better place. We want to find purpose in the work of our hands. And so we should be striving for purpose. And yet... If our perspective is only on what we see, then we're never going to find the purpose that we seek. That, that's the interpretive key of Ecclesiastes. Because in verse 3 and 5, he brings in this, this communication about what it means to be under the sun. That's the setting of the book of Ecclesiastes. What does man gain by all, all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation comes, a generation goes, that the earth remains forever. Uh, here's the point. Who are your great-great-great-grandparents? How many generations can you go back? I, I hope you can go back to your grandparents, right? We, we should all be able to do that. Uh, maybe we can go back to our great-grandparents. But can you, can you go great-great? I can't go great-great. I can go great. I can't go great-great. Can you go great-great-great? The reality of what, what he's saying to us is, is true that we all recognize eventually that at some point you just forget the generations in front of you. Unless it's like a famous person, then, then you say, yeah, I mean, eight generations ago I was, I was related to this famous person that did this amazing thing. 
But if they're not famous, you don't know who they are, and they're your blood. They're your relative. They're, they, they came before you, and your DNA is, is, comes from their DNA. And what he's pointing out to us is that this earth, it just keeps on turning. And time just keeps on moving. And it's really easy to just feel like we're hamsters in a wheel, just turning time after time after time again, and then we die. You know, death is one of the most important themes in Ecclesiastes. Because at the end of the day, he says one of the reasons why meaning in life is fleeting under the sun is because the rich man has worked so hard to gain all of this great wealth, and then he's buried in the same ground that the poor man is. And then what does it mean? It, it, it is all for nothing if it's only about this life. So the message of the book of Ecclesiastes is actually get over it. Three words in Ecclesiastes, get over it. And, and, and by that, I mean the sun. If the setting of Ecclesiastes is all about the sun, then the application of Ecclesiastes is if you want to find meaning, get over it. Get over the sun because there is meaning and purpose to be found in this life that is not fleeting. But you have to move beyond the sun to find it. And we're going to get there. One of the key illustrations comes in verse 6. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Around and around the wind goes, and on its circuit the wind remains. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. It's like he's talking about the stream as, as this worker. Can you imagine if you were the stream and your job was to fill up the ocean? And every day, all you did was you poured water into the ocean, day after day, hour after hour. And every night when you clock out, the, the ocean's still not full, and there's still water coming your way. It feels like this endless cycle of meaninglessness. That, that's what he's communicating here. Uh, he also is communicating this, uh, two, two really practical analogies from creation. The, the stream and the wind. One of the themes of Ecclesiastes is that finding purpose and meaning in life under the sun is like chasing the wind. Has anybody ever caught the wind? Have you ever grabbed it? It's kind of like grabbing vapor, right? You, you can't just wrap your arms around it and catch the wind. And yet, we all have this innate sense that we're supposed to find meaning. We're supposed to find purpose. We're supposed to make a difference. So what do we do? I'm going to skip down to verse 12. He talks about wisdom. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, this surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this is just striving after wind. So all this great wisdom was ultimately found to be 
a striving after the wind. It's like he's saying, I've seen everything. And I haven't just seen everything in my own immediate context, but because I was this wealthy king, I was able to separate myself from my immediate context, and I went searching. I went searching in other cultures. I went searching in other faiths. I went searching in other sources of wisdom to find whatever wisdom the world had to offer. That's what we're going to find from the author of Ecclesiastes here. But as he was searching and searching and searching, in the end, he comes back at the end of chapter 1 to say, I was chasing the wind the whole time. I was trying to get smarter. I was trying to get wiser. I was trying to make better decisions. And all I was doing was chasing the wind. Here's the thing about Ecclesiastes. We have to see it as a book from an older mentor to a younger mentee. In in fact, chapter 12 closes with the preacher addressing his son. And whether that's a a son in a literal sense or a a son in a a figurative sense, in whatever sense, uh, the son that the preacher is talking to is this person who is obviously younger, in whom he's trying to impart knowledge. And see, experience can teach us things. Everybody learns by experience, and that's good. But sometimes wisdom is being able to learn without the experience, right? We learn from our mistakes all the time. I hope we do. You know, folly is the person that can't even learn from their own mistakes. Maturity is the person that just makes mistakes and learns from them. Wisdom is the person that doesn't have to make the mistake to discern, that's a bad idea, I'm not going to do that. And what Ecclesiastes is is communicating is this older man that's made all the mistakes. Don't do what I did. Don't chase women and wealth and work and wisdom. Don't don't do that and and think that you're going to find ultimate purpose in those things. Did you know that I didn't know that was four W's until I started talking and that worked out really well? Women, wealth, work, and wisdom. I probably should have known that, but I didn't. Um, So I just distracted myself. What the preacher is trying to tell us is, uh, guys, I've, I've made the mistakes myself, so don't make those same mistakes. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole end of man. That's how the book closes. And, and so we have to understand that the setting here is essential. That if our gaze is only under the sun, that, then we're always going to going to find futility at the end of all of our striving. If our focus is only on what we see, then we're not seeing all that there is to see. Really. If if all we see is what we see, then we're not seeing all there is to be seen. Because the world is much bigger than just the physical world right in front of us. And if we're just looking at what the sun can shine its light on in the physical world and trying to find purpose and hope there, then we're going to fall into this greener grass conspiracy. We're going to fall into this, to this fantasy life. And, and here's the thing about Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes isn't ultimately telling you that life isn't worth living. Ecclesiastes is actually telling you that fantasy isn't worth pursuing. That life, in, as it really is, is worth living. But the fantasy that your life, in a physical sense, is going to bring purpose and meaning and hope, that's a fantasy world. This thought that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, so what I need to do in order to be happy is to cross over the fence line into this different relationship, into this new opportunity, this new job, 
Maybe I just need a change of circumstance and that will bring happiness or purpose. Maybe the problem is, is my boss. Maybe the problem is, it's my wife. Maybe the problem is my, my social group. And if I just separate myself from that and find a new setting, a greener pasture, climb over this difficult hill in front of me to a greener pasture, the grass will be greener over there and that's where I'll find hope and purpose. That is what he says is futile. Striving after the wind. It's not about the next job, the next relationship, the next opportunity, because every next you get to, you're going to want another next. What, why he's telling you that there's nothing new under the sun, he's saying whatever you're hoping comes next is not going to be all that new. You're just going to get more dissatisfaction as you go for this next pleasure. As you're trying to derive meaning from a new job, new relationship, new family, new whatever. And so he's, he's not telling you, give up on your life. He's telling you, get over it. Get over the sun. Look beyond the sun and see how when your gaze is set on the eternal, like Christ says, right? Set your, set your minds not on what lies below where moth and rust come in and destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but set your minds on the things that are above, where moth and rust cannot destroy, thieves, or thieves cannot break in and steal. The author of Ecclesiastes, when you bring Jesus into the story, it, you see that what he's ultimately telling you is to look beyond what you see with your physical eyes, and there will be hope. There will be hope in this life. You know, this weekend, um, this, this week, I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my week, and it's going to be like everybody's week. There's been highs, there's been lows, there's been hard days, there's been good days, there's been fun conversations, there's been hard conversations. That, that's how life goes, right? And so uh, Friday night, we were, we were back here, and it was my life group, old friends, new friends, all in the same room together. So, so people that I barely know sitting in the room unpacking the book of Ecclesiastes together, along with people that I've known and been close to for over a decade. And we're sitting there and we're talking about purpose and meaning in life. And we're able to talk about a book that sounds like it's full of despair and we're able to laugh and have a good time and, and live in joy together because that's what the church does for us. It creates community, a community of people that we can come around and we can ask the hard questions together. And the hope that we're, that we're talking about, the hope that we're seeking to find together isn't about getting that new job, getting that new opportunity, wh whatever it is. And, and you know, there was hope and joy in the room talking about Ecclesiastes chapter 1 with old friends and new friends. And when you're looking beyond the sun, you can find purpose and meaning in relationships that you don't if the relationship is the idol. If your husband or your wife is the ultimate and not Christ, they're never going to satisfy you. They're never going to be good enough. They're never going to be kind enough, patient enough, loving enough. They're always going to let you down because you cannot do that to them. You cannot put them on the pedestal where you expect them to meet every need that you have. You cannot put them in the position where, where you're asking the perfection of them in all times. No, Christ loves as a perfect, loving Savior for us so that we can derive meaning from relationships 
that are good but not perfect. Because no marriage is going to be perfect. And no family is going to be perfect. And, and no church is going to be perfect. No workplace is going to be perfect. No school is going to be perfect. But the preacher of Ecclesiastes is giving us this change of perspective that lets us find joy, hope, and deep, deep, satisfying meaning in the midst of a world full of imperfections. That's where he's going. You know, Tuesday night and Thursday night, we were in a crazy setting. It's called a soccer jamboree. And a bunch of five-year-olds playing soccer, running around in circles. Five-year-olds don't really play soccer. They kick a ball, but they don't really, it's just different. Karis, Karis has no idea what she's doing. She's sweet and she's beautiful and I'm so proud of her. She has no clue what she's doing. And, and, and we're out there and, and, and it's Karis' team against Logan Hundley's team. Jason and Lee, and they're, they're playing each other and there's people all around and it's just like, this is crazy. And we got to like eat quickly to get out there. And then the kids get all dirty. And Jericho's got pictures over here. And Eden had gymnastics. And then we got to go home. And everybody's got to get showers. And then we just crash at the end of the night. And we're like, this day was nuts. It was crazy. And then you can look back and you can say, but you know what? This is one of the good old days. Because I I just got to see my my five-year-old be overjoyed at being a bad soccer player. I got to see, <laughs> she, maybe she won't watch this when she's older. <laughs> I, I got to see my, my six-year-old just hang out with his buddies and, and practice soccer and, and take pictures, take team pictures. And I got to see the joy in my eight-year-old as she played with a two-year-old. And there's joy in that and there's meaning in that. Why? Because my kids aren't my idols, but my kids are are a, a sacred and holy responsibility given to me for a time to nurture for an eternal relationship. And it, just, and it just hits me. It doesn't actually matter if Karis is good at soccer or not. It, it doesn't actually matter uh, how good of a, of a speller Eden is. It doesn't matter if, if Jericho can read just at his grade level or a little above his grade level. Y- you know what ultimately matters? is their eternity in Christ. And I have a sacred privilege of having them in the time I have them to point them in a right direction. And I care deeply about all those things. I, I mean, we're, we're working on the reading and spelling thing. Those are important. All the teachers are like, well, those are kind of important, Tim. I know, I know, those are important. But, but there's, only, there's only one decision that they make that is an eternal decision. And, and that's, that's my sacred privilege, to, to nurture them along that path. And here's what's sacred about this life, is the people created in the image of God in whom we rub shoulders with each and every day. Because you know what? Streams feel really purposeless when you really get down to it. Wind feels really purposeless. It just keeps on blowing. If it's not blowing here, it's blowing somewhere else. And, And yet, human beings created as image bearers of the almighty God have inherent value, inherent worth, and we are to cultivate those relationships for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and growth in the body of Christ moving together in love, in unity, mutual service, uh, mutual submission for the sake of a, of a pure and spotless bride being, cre- being, being presented to the bridegroom Christ our Savior. 
Ecclesiastes can be really beautiful because there is something new. Look at verse 10. The author of Ecclesiastes says, Is there a thing? Is there anything of which it is said, See, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There's two key principles in Ecclesiastes that we can't forget. That life is meaningless or is, is fleeting or meaning and purpose in life. It's hard to find as long as you're under the sun and unless there is something new. And I got really good news for you. You know, Isaiah read Ecclesiastes. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Based on the timeline, pretty sure Isaiah knew what Ecclesiastes 1.10 said. And so when Ecclesiastes 43, 19, God says to Isaiah, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you think Isaiah knew what he meant? Do you think Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah knew what he meant when he said, I am doing a new thing? Uh, Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. There's a stream all of a sudden again. Now there's a new stream that springs forth. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Jesus is bringing in rivers into the wasteland, streams in the desert. So it's not just this stream that keeps filling up the ocean, that the ocean never gets filled. Jesus Christ, when he breaks into humanity, breaks into human history, he, for the first time, brings something truly new. And that truly new, it doesn't happen all at once. It unfolds over time. It unfolds throughout his life and ministry. It unfolds in a big way at the cross. It unfolds in a big way at the empty tomb. It unfolds in a big way on the day of Pentecost. It's still unfolding today. And the ultimate result is streams, new streams, flowing in the wasteland, flowing in the desert, because God brings new. Is there purpose in Ecclesiastes? Yes. Because there's a deep, heartfelt longing that the preacher in his heart is calling out, is there anything new? And Isaiah and Jeremiah, we got you. We see it. He's revealed it to us. Peter says it like this. Peter says, concerning salvation, the prophets who prophesied long ago about grace, they searched and they inquired carefully. They were trying to figure out the person and time that the Spirit of Christ was revealing to them, the salvation that was revealing to them, and when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter says, it was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I'm convinced that the preacher of Ecclesiastes saw that there was hope to be found beyond the sun, and he didn't see what it looked like. He knew it was there. He knew Yahweh, the God of Israel, was faithful and would keep his covenant promises. He did not know how. 
He did not know about the, the breaking in of, of the new covenant in Christ. He did not know that Paul would one day be able to say, behold, the old has gone and the new has come. He did not know that John would prophesy that at the very end, Revelations 21, he who sits on the throne is going to say, behold, I am making all things new. Is there anything new under the sun? Now there is. His name is Jesus. He's brought a new covenant. He's brought an eternal kingdom. And he is reigning even now. And he's calling us out in, to, to be his ambassadors. To be his representatives. So here, here's how we'll close it. We're here today to find the newness of Christ. And the newness of Christ means salvation of recognizing that you are a sinner, that you cannot stand as righteous before the throne of God based on your own merit. We know that. And the scriptures prove it from beginning to end. And so therefore, if I am not righteous on my own, I must receive what, what the reformers called an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness. Righteousness has to come from outside of me, inside to me, and it comes through Jesus. As he pays for my sin, he gives me his righteousness so I can stand redeemed before the throne of God and I can be made eternally, ultimately new. That's the offer. It's on the table for everybody today. But also for those of us that have gotten to that point to find newness in Christ and yet in the midst of the brokenness and despair that this life so often throws at us we need a little bit of a reminder here and then there's the promise that there's something else new that his mercies are new every morning you know we sang this this morning we sang a crazy song this morning we sing lots of crazy songs here we sing crazy songs that are crazy just like Ecclesiastes that without the hope of the gospel make no sense at all Jason, I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and make your way up. Here's what we sing. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, my Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold. My shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won. And I shall overcome. And yet not I, but through Christ in me. There's an incredible story of hope right here in these pages. It's hard to see at first, but I hope you'll read with me in the weeks ahead. As every week we come back together. And we find hope and meaning in the cross of Christ that, that breaks in something new that changes everything.